in our world. Uh, fame is something that many people crave after. Uh, we see this in social media, don't we? It's a world craving for fame and often without the substance or reality of what is promised. Once in a while, perhaps you've seen this uh, video maybe spread across the internet. Uh, something amazing has gone on and people have shared it around. Perhaps it's been seen millions of times. Uh, perhaps it's a footballer, perhaps it's a musician. Uh, perhaps it is something else, but it's something that everybody says, wow, how did they do that? How is that even possible? I don't know if there are any young people here this evening, but have you ever seen a footballer or a musician or anybody and you said, wow, how can they do that? That is crazy. That's not even possible. And you share it to another friend. And you tell someone else. It makes you get excited. You're so impressed by what you have just seen. Solomon in our text that we're going to look at here this evening is far more impressive than anything we have seen in the internet since it came online. His kingdom, his rule was so impressive that the queen of Sheba was in awe. In awe. But we cannot just stop there. There's someone greater than Solomon. You ask, who is this person? Who is this one who is greater than Solomon? Someone sinless. Someone perfect. Someone whose rule exceeds all the kingdoms of the world all put together. Someone who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we'll turn now and read from this section of God's Holy Word in Second Chronicles chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Let us hear God's Holy Word. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... She came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men 
And happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God. Because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir, brought algum, wood, and precious stones. And the king made walkways of the algum wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. And there were no, and there were none such as these seen before in the land of Judah. Now King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Have you ever seen a crowd in amazement? In shock? Something dramatic has happened. You can tell by the reactions of them. Perhaps it's something horrible. And and your first instinct when you see a reaction of this kind, you think, why are they in shock? What's causing this? Or perhaps you see somebody you know and they're happy. They come to you and they're, they're joyful and what are you thinking? Is there good news to share? Has something wonderful happened? In the Bible... The reactions of great and powerful beings such as angels and also of powerful rulers and impressive rulers, you could say, tell us a lot about God. The wonder and the awe of their reaction. Now this evening in the reading of this text about the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, we may be tempted to think, what is this? tell us about Solomon. It does tell us certain things about Solomon. But this is more than just reading a biography about someone's life. It's first about learning about God. And learning about God's relationship with his people. So what does it teach us about God here this evening? The Queen of Sheba, an impressive ruler. She is in awe of this king. She is in awe of this kingdom. But this kingdom is tiny, minuscule, and small compared to the kingdom of the king of glory. How much more should we be in awe of this king of glory? How much more should we be in awe of the king? So our title for this evening's message is going to be in awe of before the king, in awe before the king. And we're going to look at four reasons to be in awe before the king. 
the first one is the king's wisdom. Number two, the king's magnificence. Number three, the king's reputation. And four, we're going to look at the king's blessings. Number one, the king's wisdom. The king's wisdom. Verses 1 and 2 of our text. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions. Having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, and gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. This very impressive ruler, the Queen of Sheba, in the New Testament she's called the Queen of the South, came a long way. Why? Why did she come so far on such a difficult journey? Well, she had heard of the fame. Uh, She had heard of this incredible king. And she had heard of the wisdom of this man. It seems like she wanted also to trade. She brought, as it says here, a retinue. She brought many things with her camels that bore spices, gold in abundance and precious stones. It seemed like she wanted to start, you know, we see it today. There's agreements between different countries and things that would help each other. But it wasn't just this. It's clearly the wisdom of Solomon that she tests him with many questions. It says in the New Testament in Matthew 12, 42, she, the queen of the south, came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She came from the ends of the earth. And the impression here is she came a very long way. Good rulers, wise rulers, know the value of wisdom. They know how important it is to govern with wisdom. Uh, Foolish rulers do not value such wisdom. And their kingdom does not last. It crumbles. She has many questions for Solomon. Was anything too difficult for him? Not at all. Verse 2. So Solomon answered all her questions. And there was nothing so difficult for Solomon. But wait a minute. Should we think, wow, Solomon is incredible. Where was the source of this wisdom? Where did this wisdom come from? Well, Solomon, at the beginning of his reign, asked this. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Solomon said this, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people. Too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. That I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
this humble petition from Solomon to God. How does God answer Solomon in his, this great need he's looking for? He's seeking for wisdom. Tells us in 1 Kings 3 as well, in verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord. That Solomon had asked this thing, then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor asked for life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. Where is the source of this great wisdom which Solomon had, which left the queen of Sheba, this impressive ruler, without spirit in her? Our text tells us. The wisdom that Solomon had was like anyone before or anyone who would follow. Well, except for one. All this wisdom was from the Lord. All this wisdom was from the Lord. A humble Solomon seeking to know, to discern right from wrong. Or as one person put it, discernment is discerning between right and And almost right. To have the skill to govern. And this word skill is very similar to to wisdom in the Hebrew language. But this leaves the queen of Sheba in awe. It tells us in verse 4. Her reaction. Verse 4. There was no more spirit in her. And this was a Gentile queen, an unbelieving queen. And she was in awe of this wisdom. But there was someone who came with more wisdom, far more wisdom than Solomon. The New Testament tells us in Luke eleven thirty one, The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Who is the New Testament referring to? Luke 11.31. A greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Solomon did come. Jesus Christ. And why? Because he is and ever continues to be God. He is the source of that wisdom Solomon received on that day, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. He is that God. He is that source of wisdom. And this queen traveled a great distance, at great difficulty, to hear Solomon's wisdom. And as we think here this evening, how much more should we be in awe? How much more should we sacrifice in order to hear this wisdom? She traveled a great distance. She wasn't even a believer. And she was in awe. Should we not sacrifice much in order to come and hear the wisdom from Almighty God? 
and be in awe of him. To tremble before him. Ask ourselves this evening, what will we sacrifice? What comforts will we sacrifice in order to hear the sweet, wise words of Jesus Christ? Number two now. Number two. The king's magnificence. The king's magnificence. This word magnificence means the impressiveness of appearance. When you see something in its appearance, it is impressive. People think, wow. And this word is usually used around royalty. Royalty or reign. That speaks of greatness or splendor. The Queen of Sheba... A Gentile ruler, an impressive ruler. What did she think of Solomon's rule? How he ruled and the way things were ordered around him. It tells us here in verses 3 and verses 4. And it says, When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that had been built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. She's in awe when she sees how everything is arranged all around Solomon. There's, everything's beautifully ordered. Everything's impressive. Everything is perfectly in order. Uh, if you ever go into somebody's office, if you ever look at somebody's study, usually you don't see perfect order. You might see stacks of books and you might see stacks of paper and not everything looks wonderful. I'm talking about my own office here. But order is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Order is a wonderful thing. If you look at an office and you say, one office is messy, one's not, one's all clean. One makes you want to study in it, the other one doesn't. But there's a a beauty to order, a beauty to order. Today, our world seems to present mess as beautiful, doesn't it? It seems to present disorder and chaos and self-expression as beautiful. It's far from it, far from it. But this, why, this wisdom, things are beautifully ordered around Solomon. And this is impressive to the king. She sees the table. She sees the servants seated. She sees the clothes, the apparel. She is impressed. Wow. And she's already reigning herself. She already has her own kingdom. We're not told an incredibly, a lot about her in the scriptures. But she is an important queen. But there is one greater than Solomon who has come. One whose magnificence is greater than anything seen during Solomon's reign. Solomon's reign wowed everyone around him. Solomon's reign was what all the Israelites after the exile looked back on and were sad and they wanted the glory days back. It was incredible. But this reign, this kingdom was only a taste 
of the coming kingdom. A beautifully, wisely, skillfully designed and foreordained future for the saints. Beautifully, wisely, skillfully. Foreordained future. Our, our future is incredible. Not because of us. If it had anything to do with us, it would be a mess. But because of the God who's ordained it. Who has arranged everything to be glorious. And what about the servants in Christ's kingdom? And their apparel, their clothing. What about us as servants of Christ? How does the world react to us? It's a serious question. When, when they see us serving our king for our great, great and mighty king. Far more impressive than Solomon. Do we live in such a way that anybody thinks they have something that I don't have? Does, there's a sense in which, yes, the world doesn't understand us. But there's another way in which the world will be slightly envious if we're following after God. If we're working together in unity. If, if there's... Glorious Christian love one toward another. If there's people seeking out. They may say I don't agree with that. I wish I had what you had. But I'm not going to go any further. There's something attractive there. There's something that radiates. There's a radiance. And a joy. In our walk. I remember. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to tell the story. Without breaking down in tears. But. I remember a good friend of mine for many years, somebody I knew before I was a Christian. And I met up with her for coffee a few months after I was saved. And I remember her looking across, staring at me, and just kind of going, Paul, you are completely different. And it was one of the, the nicest things anybody had said to me. And I just smiled at her, I am different. I trusted in Jesus Christ. She'd seen me at my lowest before I was a Christian. And God had saved me. There's a radiance that shines forth from God's people when they know what they've been rescued from. When they know what they have. And they know how wonderful the kingdom we serve is. And we, we feel bad, don't we? We pity people because they're serving their own small kingdom. A kingdom that will not last. A kingdom that will one day be dissolved. There's a radiance. There's a joy. There's a beauty to serving Christ in this world. One that shows the radiance of our new apparel in Christ. You know, if you've become a Christian, you have new clothes. Did you ever go shopping and you buy new clothes and, and, and you, you come home and you try them on and you feel so much better, don't you? Depending on the clothes you're wearing. Well, if you're a Christian, you have glorious robes presented by Christ. He clothes you. Before you're, you're naked. Before you are filthy. But what does he do? He washes you with his blood. He takes you in. And he clothes you. And you are brought into the presence of royalty. 
because of Jesus Christ. There is something that the richest men in this world, there is something the most powerful men in the world, no matter how much money they have, they do not have this without Christ. Without Christ, they're not part of the most powerful kingdom. It says in verse 19 of chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 19 of, of 2 Chronicles. This is a text warning God's people, and this is God appearing to Solomon, warning God's people about not turning away. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them, this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. These are people among the people of God who have turned their back on the messenger of the covenant. They've turned their back on the Messiah. The world does not see a visible Christ today, do we? But what we are surrounded by, the world is surrounded by, is the glorious creation. We sung about it earlier in Psalm 136. The glorious creation is all around us, teaching us of the handiworks of Almighty God. And it points toward the Creator Himself. In Romans 1 Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, or you can also say his deity, so that they are without excuse. And what Paul is telling the Romans here is that in creation all around us, This beautiful design, this glorious design by Almighty God. What does it do? It tells us about the God who made it. It tells us about His attributes. It tells us and shows us that He's all-powerful. Being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and His the fact that He's God. Everyone. Is without excuse. His attributes. Though invisible. Clearly seen. In creation. And how? By the things that are made. You see. You find a magnificent painting. You can learn by studying that painting. Of the painter. And we're surrounded by the creation. Glorious creation. It's his skill, it's his wisdom that has formed all this around us. And because of the skill of God, his creation points to his power. Who else could have made this? Could anyone but God have made the heavens? Could have made the mountains? Could have made the oceans? Could have made the streams? Could have arranged life in perfect balance? Who else could have done this? No one else but God. 
Who else could have maintained the glorious beauty that we enjoy in this part of the world? And people will say this, isn't nature wonderful? Nature is wonderful, but nature didn't create itself. God is wonderful who has made nature that is around us. His goodness, His power, and His glory. So, when the world looks and it sees the handiwork of God and sees the arrangement around us, we should all be in awe. We have, we're surrounded by reasons to be in awe of our God. The Queen of Sheba saw the order and beauty of Solomon's servants and their clothing. She was in awe. How much more should we be in awe of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And this is a good reason, friends. As you spend time enjoying nature, think about what God has done in making all this. And think about what God is doing in maintaining it. It is truly, truly amazing. Number three, now we're going to look at the king's reputation. The king's reputation. So we've looked at the king's wisdom, his magnificence. And now we're going to look at the king's reputation. So often in life, things that people speak highly of, what usually happens? Are they usually as good as people say, the advertisements? What's the, what, the phrase everyone's thinking? Too good to be true. And I'm sure this is what she was thinking of, the Queen of Sheba. Before she heard, before she came, she didn't believe the reports. Verse 5, then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. Things can sound great. Have you ever been told, this is the greatest book you're ever going to read? Read it. And you read it. And you're going, it's good. I don't think it's that good. How often has that happened? Things can sound great, but are often perhaps a letdown. But the Queen of Sheba's trip to see Solomon isn't a letdown at all. And it's not even as good as she thought it would. It's way better. It's much better than she even heard about. At the end of verse 6 it says this. You exceed the fame of which I heard. You exceed the fame of which I heard. I have heard far and wide. This is another way of saying this. I have heard far and wide of the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, I was skeptical. I, I didn't really believe it. Could it be that much? But now I see the truth. It's far better. Far better. The reality experienced is greater than she realized. She's amazed at the king. The king's reputation is very great. But the reputation didn't do him justice. Another translation puts it this way at the end of verse 6. You have surpassed the report That I heard. You have surpassed the report that I have heard. And she came skeptical. This impressive Gentile ruler, 
Uh, and how do we know she was impressive? We know with the, the great retinue, the, there's all these spices and all these things that she's willing to trade. She's obviously very powerful and rich. But even at that, she's so impressed that it's far better than she ever imagined. What about the reports of our God, our King? The Queen of Sheba, she boasts of this King. Do we boast of ours? Do we boast of ours? Knowing He is greater than we mere creatures can explain or get across. So often, we don't boast, do we? We, we downplay. We downplay the greatness of our God. It says in Psalm 44 verse 8, In God we boast all day long. And praise your name forever, Selah. What does the world think of such things? Stop talking about God. Stop forcing religion on me. This is what the world will say. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What about boasting before your friends? You boast of the greatness of God before your friends. Young people, I wonder, do any of you have a friend, perhaps in school, and that friend is amazing at something? Perhaps they're amazing at football. Perhaps they're an amazing guitar player. And you meet your other friends who don't know that friend. What do you do? Have you seen Kevin? Can you see the way he plays the piano? He's amazing. You've got to see him. And you're telling everybody about it. And it's like, they're like, I don't know if he's that good. No, no, he's amazing. You have to see him play. We, we do this with a lot of things, don't we, in life. We boast about so many people. But do we boast about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We boast of lesser talents with other people. But do we boast about the King who is in control of everything? Who is omnipresent? Who is all powerful. The one who gave us life in the first place. The one who is better than any of us. Can get across. And when people come to Christ. You know what happens? They think this. He is so much better. Than I realized. That's something that you, you hear about what Christians say, you know, from the outside looking in. And you, you, you then come to taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, who trust in Him is blessed. Well, what do you see? That He is better. He is so much better than we ever could imagine. Do we boast of His greatness? Or do we downplay His majesty? What should we seek to do? We should seek that his reputation, uh, his glory should be made known. That his report, we've got to make people aware of this, don't we? Here is the great king. He is majestic and he saves all who will look toward him with the eye of faith. Those who will turn away from their sin and look to him, they will have hope. And he's the only hope that anyone has in this world for the world to come. It seems like a pretty important message, isn't it? This gospel message that we have. This king in whom we are to be in awe before. 
That his name would be glorified. That he would be exalted among the nations. God does all things for his name's sake. For his reputation's sake. In 1 John 2 verse 12 it says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He does all things for his glory and your sins have been forgiven you little children because... For his namesake. Isn't that comforting? It rests upon the glory of God. Ephesians 1.11. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And when we see how much we are sinners. Shouldn't it leave us in awe. Of his mercy. Of his kindness. Toward creatures such as us. Who have sinned against him. Finally, we're going to look at the king's blessings. The king's blessings. So we've looked at his wisdom, magnificence, reputation. Now, finally, we're going to look at blessings. The king's blessings. Verse 12. Now, King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all she desired. Whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own country. She and her servants. In our text here we see that there's great wealth in Solomon's kingdom. There's great wealth flowing into Solomon's kingdom. And there's great wealth even flowing out of it. Uh, we see a generosity of a king, don't we? And we see an abundance of riches of this king, Solomon. But can we think of a greater king with greater riches than this? Greater blessings. One far kinder, far wiser than Solomon. Jesus Christ. And, and, and as we think about his kindness, his generosity, and how he blesses his people, those who, who come to him, those who... Are their, their prayers are answered. Does God owe us anything? Because of ourselves. Does God owe us anything? You, you might be here this evening and think, well, I'm not such a bad person. I can think of people who are far worse down the road from me. Or, or I do work for charity. But you've forgotten something, friend. If you're thinking this way. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. And the one you have sinned against is the one of infinite value. And because he is of infinite value, his sinning against him is far greater. And that brings punishment. That brings a curse. It doesn't bring blessing. But even apart from this, God owes us nothing. Think about it. He is... The, the great I am. He does not depend on anyone. And he doesn't need any of us either. But he freely gives us. He freely gives us of his own love. He expresses this to people like us who are undeserving. And because he's promised it. Why can we take confidence he's going to do these things? Because he has promised it. Not because we're great. 
Not because he owes us anything, but because he has promised it. We depend on him. We are but dust. Knowing this, should we not be in awe of the king and his blessings? Freely blessing those who come to him, who seek him, and gives us good things. Solomon blessed the queen of Sheba with good things. Uh, Our king blesses us with far greater riches in this world and greater in the world to come. We have but tasted a little of the blessings here. You know that? We've but tasted it. We've but seen a small window into the pure glorious light of eternity. There's greater to come. There is greater wealth to come with the Lord's coming kingdom. Are we in awe? Are we in awe he has done all these things for mere creatures such as us? It should leave us thinking in amazement. Wow. And as we are in amazement, what will we do? If you're amazed about anything else, what will you do? You tell everybody. You're shocked. How could he do this for us? I think we've almost, in the modern church, lost the shock of the gospel. That's what I think we've lost. We've lost the sin. We kind of almost think, of course he'll forgive us. But he is so good. And we are so undeserving. There's a sense in which we should be, really? Me? And it leaves us just like the Queen of Sheba. That there was no more spirit in her. He is greater than we can imagine. And he blesses. How does he bless? Ephesians 3 verse 20 tells us this. Not now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. When you come in your prayers and the Lord answers them. Have you ever had this experience where God has answered it? Answered your prayers but he's given you more Than you've even asked for. He's given you better than you even imagined. And when we think about those things. Shouldn't it make us a patient people? He blesses. At the right time. In the right way. And isn't it amazing. That we're a part of that people. Who get to have greater riches. Given to us. In Jesus Christ than even the Queen of Sheba received from the hand of Solomon. To be in awe of the King of Kings brings worship. It brings us to see how wonderful and beautiful is his creation. All that he has done. We, when we come into the presence of God, we ought to be in awe. Solomon was a mere man. A mere man. But yes, with an impressive amount of wisdom. And a kingdom. People came to hear him from all over. But there's one far greater than Solomon. Whom you would need to trust in. Whom you need to trust in. One far more kind. Far more praiseworthy. And far more impressive. And uh, someone, the more we gaze at him. The more we look at him, the more we study him, the more we love him, 
the more we are in awe of Him. There's a sense in which we almost have no words to say before God. He is so magnificent. We struggle. We struggle. But perhaps you're here this evening and you're struggling to be in awe of God. Perhaps you feel you're going through a stage in your walk. You're dragging yourself to church. You're struggling. Spend time with Him alone. Friend, you need to see how wonderful He is. And how wonderful it is to be in His presence. Because the more you love Him, and the more you know Him, the more you will be amazed by Him. Amen.